This message by Mark Altrogi, titled, Worship in Light of Heaven, is made available to you through Sovereign Grace Ministries. It was recorded during the fifth main session at our 2004 Worship God Conference. Mark serves as the senior pastor of Lord of Life Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Tonight's teaching is entitled, Worship in Light of Heaven. And if I could have that Charles Spurgeon quote, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up. Let it be irradiated with a heavenly gleam. Let your eyes shine with reflected glory. But when you speak of hell, well, then your ordinary face will do. (laughs) So I don't want to use my ordinary face. A number of years ago, I saw a movie called The Pistol, and it was about Pistol Pete Maravich, the basketball player, and uh, it was about his childhood, his teen years, his college years, and I don't know the exact time frame. I tried to get this movie before the conference so I could double check on, on, on a couple things, but I believe it was during the 60s that He was uh, about to play or playing high school basketball, and a man takes him and his father to an all-black high school. Uh, They were segregated in those days. The the whites had their high schools, blacks had theirs. They didn't mix. And this man took Pete Maravich and his father to this all-black high school to watch the basketball team practice. And these athletes were doing amazing things with the basketball, things that are probably common nowadays in basketball. But they were, they were passing behind their backs. They were dribbling between their legs. They were, they were throwing the ball around in all kinds of fancy ways that may have been called hot dogging or, or uh, some other term like that because they were as different they were as different from the white high school basketball players as jazz is to chopsticks. They, they were phenomenal. And what, what this man said, what this man said to Pete Maravich and his father is, he says, gentlemen, you are looking at the future of basketball. And that glimpse of the future changed Pete Maravich. He went back home and imported what he had seen of the future into his present. And he began to develop an unconventional style. When Pete Maravich saw the future, it changed the way he played in the present and it fueled his hope for the future. And in the book of Revelation, John gives us a number of pictures of heaven. Gives us a number of glimpses into heaven. And those glimpses of heaven inform our worship now. 
those glimpses of the future of worship, those glimpses of worship in heaven that, that we'll be experiencing in the future can inform our worship now and fuel our hope for worship to come, the worship in heaven. So if you would please turn to Revelation 22. Start at verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the rich way we have been served in this conference already. We thank you that your word gives us glimpses of the future, glimpses of heaven that whet our appetite. Father, I would just pray that you would help me, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to serve your wonderful people in a way that will benefit their churches, in a way that will benefit them personally in worship, in a way that will bless those that aren't even here. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would do far beyond anything that we can think, ask, or imagine. Lord, I will just pray that not because of me, but because of you, because of your greatness, because of your glory and majesty, that you would use the, the teachings from this conference to affect future generations future churches yet to be planted, Lord, our grandchildren, Lord, that the truths we have learned, we could impart to new generations, to other people who are not even believers yet. Father, you can do far, we can imagine that, and we ask you to do far more than we can think, ask, or imagine. And Lord, I want to thank you that you have said in your word you would make an everlasting covenant with us to never stop doing good to us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do good to us now through your word, by your spirit. Lord, for the sake of your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 John, John was writing his book, the book of Revelation, to various churches and a number of the saints that he was writing to were enduring persecution, were enduring hard times. 
And so John gives glimpses of heaven to them so that it will inform them for their life now. These glimpses of heaven to come inform us for our life now. And, and as, as worship conference, uh, it, specifically tonight, I want to, to just look at and think about how these glimpses of heaven inform us for our worship now. But the book of Revelation was intended to inform saints who were enduring and suffering and going through assorted kinds of trials that by looking into the future, it would inform them on how to live their life now. And my prayer is that this would inform us a little bit for our worship now. And also, John wanted his readers who were enduring these trials and persecutions and different situations to be and have, have a hope and an anticipation for the future that this life is, is not it. This life is not the end. There is a future, a glorious future that, that we should have hope for, that, that, that if we're suffering, if we're enduring something hard in this life, if it's not going so well in this life, that's okay because there's a glorious future ahead we should have hope for. Now, this passage has far more than I can, can even explore, so, but I'm just gonna pick out a, uh, three things from this passage tonight. The throne of God is the first one. The throne of God, the river of God, and the face of God, I'm going to look at tonight. So we'll talk about the first thing that we see in this picture in Revelation 22 is the throne of God. Verse one, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse three, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. The throne of God. The throne of God is mentioned 45 times in the book of Revelation. It, it is filling heaven. The throne of God is all through the book of Revelation. The throne represents the absolute sovereign supremacy, greatness, and majesty of God. God is on his throne, ruling all things, decreeing all things, directing all things, as we have already heard so eloquently this conference. God is on his throne. Isaiah 49, or Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. John wanted his readers to know that God is on the throne and he will accomplish all his purpose. No matter what they are going through, no matter what trials, what persecutions, no matter if they're in, in uh, prosperity, the temptation of prosperity, whatever their unique situations were, God reminds them, 
45 times we see that God is on the throne. Governments are not on the throne. Political leaders are not on the throne. The persecutors are not on the throne. God is on the throne. God on his throne fills heaven. The focus is on God. The focus is on God. There is nothing else in view. Only God and his greatness and awesome majesty in our worship. Let us seek to remind ourselves. Let us seek to remember only God is on the throne. Only God is in view. The focus is on God, his greatness, his glory, his majesty. And I just so appreciate what's already been taught about that. This has been a great conference. The focus is not on us. The focus is not on our subjective feelings. The focus is not on our worship experience. I've seen ads for worship conferences and they talk about come and have a worship experience. Many times, if, if, if I start thinking about my worship experience, it's not that great. I mean, I, I don't always feel full of passion and emotion. I want to. I ask God during worship. This is one of my regular prayers during worship. Lord, give me passion for you. I want to see your glory and your greatness. Help me not look upon myself. Am I enjoying worship? Am I not enjoying worship? Am I having a worship experience? <laughs> am, I, am I getting a lot out of this worship? Am I feeling joy right now? I'm mostly tired. If, if you're always analyzing what you're feeling during worship, you're missing the point. The focus is on God. God is on his throne, filling heaven. It's not on the quality of our worship. Oh, I want to worship God better. I want to give him higher quality worship. But if I think about it, am I worshiping God hard enough? I'm not focusing on the right thing. Focus needs to be on God. We're, if we're focusing on trying to attract seekers, we're focusing on the wrong thing. If we're focusing on our problems, if we're focusing on our enemies. Now, most of us don't have enemies the way most believers in the world have enemies. Let God fill our horizon. If we could but remember when we come into worship, corporate worship, I mean, Sunday morning or times of corporate worship, all of life is worship. It's so hard to break out of those ways of talking. Uh, if we could remember when we come into our times of corporate worship, I want to remember God is on the throne. I want to see God on the throne through the eyes of faith. Our purpose in worship, this informs us. Contemplating heaven informs our worship, fuels our anticipation. Contemplating heaven informs our worship of its purpose. It's to give God glory. 
God is on his throne. Romans 11.36, as Dr. Ware uh, quoted, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. God is on his throne. All things are from him. All things are for him. All things are to him. To him be glory. Oh, if we could remember that in our times of corporate worship. I... I think that's why the song, it's all about you, that, that song is so uh, well loved because it does that. It reminds us. This, I was thinking about the song, Shout to the Lord. We had some songwriting seminars today and uh, uh, we talk about songwriting rules and breaking the rules and Shout to the Lord uh, breaks all kinds of songwriting rules. It, 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 it doesn't stay on a single focus it, the way I tell everybody they should. Um, it breaks many of the rules, but why is that song so wonderful? And it is a wonderful song because it is so God-exalting. This seems to be obvious, but as those of us who lead worship, we need to remind people to lift up their eyes and see the greatness of God, to get their eyes off themselves, off their troubles and off their problems, and see God, the sovereign one, reigning on his throne, causing all things to work together for our good and his glory, moving all things, decreeing all things. Nothing can thwart his plan. Nothing can stop his kingdom. Worship him. Now, I, I had a, an unusual experience of worship in a corporate setting and having to focus on God on the throne. I had the privilege last January of uh, accompanying Dave Harvey and Pete Greasley to Sri Lanka. And uh, we, we were doing teaching. I was mainly carrying their bags, but <laughs> they were doing some excellent teaching. I did a couple slots, but, but the church in Sri Lanka is, ex is experiencing the beginning waves of persecution. They have been for some time. It, it, it is it's intensifying, and it is coming from Buddhists, Buddhists who... Uh, Buddhism in the world is not like it is in Borders Bookstore. Buddhism in the world in many places is very violent. And there have been churches burned down. There have been Buddhists come into meetings and threaten and shut down and beat people up. All week long while we were there, the pastor hosting the conference was receiving threatening phone calls. Now, we come into Sri Lanka and we aren't used to that kind of persecution. And I, I have to tell you that many times during worship, the thought would insert itself into my mind. What will you do, Mark, if they come into this meeting? What will you do if they come in threatening to beat someone up or kill someone? I, I, just, I would just begin to pray that I would have the grace to stand for Jesus and to protect the children and women. And, but I had to make a conscious effort to remind myself that God is on the throne. 
God, you are on your throne. You are sovereign over the nations. And Pete Greasley and Dave did a wonderful job of pointing the, the, the saints in Sri Lanka to the fact that God is on his throne. The nations, as we heard the other night, are less than nothing, a drop in the bucket, dust on the scales. We need to remind people of that, which is why I'm so grateful for that teaching. As worship leaders, let's take, those of you who lead worship, take what we've learned here back and use these as exhortations in worship. Let it inform our worship. You know, I was thinking about if, when I, when I was a little boy, there were occasionally bullies in school. And I was thinking if, if, if a child is there and there was a bully standing in front of him, threatening to punch him, demanding his lunch money, whatever, and this bully is there, but up behind the bully, the bully's back is turned, and here's the child here, and behind the bully suddenly comes the child's father, who's far bigger than the bully. The bully doesn't see him coming. If the child could look past the bully and see his father, that would change everything. <laughs> He'd say, now, now what were you gonna do to me again? I can't hear you. What were you going to do? You're going to beat me up. You want my money. See, we can serve people by getting their eyes off the bully onto our father behind the bully, onto the God who is on the throne. And, and, and that affects our worship. It really does. People are coming in to, to, to corporate times of worship after being beat up in the world, after having their faith drained out, after going through all kinds of hard things, and we can serve them by reminding them that God is on the throne. You know, being over in Sri Lanka gave new meaning to the Psalms. As I read the Psalms and it says, oh Lord, please put an end to the wickedness of the wicked. I began to have a a deeper longing to see sin rooted out and finished with in the earth and God's enemies vanquished and focusing on heaven, contemplating heaven, not only informs us now, but it fuels my hope for the day when sin will be no more, when there will be no more bullies, when there will be no more trials. Gives me a hope for that time. God is on his throne. God is on his throne. The time is coming when that will be an established reality that everyone will know and there will be no more contenders, no more challenges to that throne. Right now we see Satan and those in the world and governments and other people contending taking a stand against the Lord and his anointed, but a day is coming when there will be no more. And John wanted to remind his readers of that. We need to remind our folks of that. Let's persevere. We need to persevere through our trials because God is on the throne and someday there will be no more trials. So that can serve us, it can fuel anticipation for the future. 
And on this throne, though, there is also the Lamb of God. It says, then the angel showed me the river of life flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse three, but the throne of God and of the Lamb. The throne is occupied not only by the sovereign ruler of all, but also by the Lamb of God, our Redeemer, slain for us. Oh, this, this informs our worship. This informs our worship. There on the throne. You know, if, if, if we only, perhaps, if we only saw the awesome power of God, the mighty rule of God, we might hesitate to draw near to the throne. But we're encouraged to draw near to the throne because the Lamb is on the throne as well. Who is one with the Father? The Father is full of compassion as well. But I think the Lamb is there to remind us that we always and will forevermore draw near to the Father through the shed blood of Jesus, through the work he accomplished by his birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension. We will always, forever, and, and Dr. Ware just did a wonderful job of just saying how all that the Father has, he mediates through the Lamb. All the blessings come to us through the Lamb. We will, all, we will see the, the glory of the Father radiating through the Lamb. The Lamb is on the throne forever. The cross will be central in our worship in heaven. Revelation 5, verses 6 through 10. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And they sang a new song. See, here's worship in heaven. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This informs our worship. This is how they worship in heaven. They worship the lamb slain, standing as those slain. Worthy are you, for you were slain. That informs our worship now. All that we sing to the Lord about in our corporate worship relates back to the cross like spokes relate back to the hub on a wheel. God is faithful to us because he purchased us. God gives us every good gift because he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also freely give us, generously give us all of the things besides? See, the goodness of God to us in giving us gifts, like a, it, it, like a spoke, it relates back to the cross. Healing is available to us because Jesus has removed the wrath of God and the anger toward us and now only favor toward us exists. 
And so God can pour out gifts and healing. Every good thing we have relates back to the cross. Let that inform our worship. Let that inform our worship. That doesn't necessarily mean that every single song we sing has to, we have to go through and describe the cross, but yet we can do that for folks. If we sing a song about the faithfulness of God, we can relate that back to the cross. Informs our worship and it fuels our hope, our anticipation for worship to come. Something I think about often is I, and we sang a hymn about that, how we will see the wounds of Jesus in a glorified way. I often think, what will that look like? To look upon the wounds of the one who bore those wounds for me. Those wounds will be glorious. It won't be sad wounds in heaven. There'll be badges of his glory, reminders of what he did for us. Oh, I, look, I look forward to the day when I can see Jesus face to face and thank him for what he did for me. I can see his wounds that he did, he endured for me. We'll talk about the river. Oh, contemplating heaven informs our worship now, fuels our anticipation for worship to come. The river, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Now the, uh, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So we have this picture of this beautiful, crystal clear, bright, shining river with trees on both sides, just laden with fruit, bearing fruit continually. Every month, fruit, 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 and this beautiful river. And this river in Revelation harks back to the river in the book of Ezekiel 47. So Ezekiel 47, I would like to read to you. You can just listen to this if you would like. Verses one through five. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple. The water was trickling out, trickling out on the south side, going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand. The man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. What, what is this river? What is God saying to us? Heaven will be filled with ever-deepening and increasing joy, knowledge, and delight. Ever-deepening, ever-increasing, ever-expanding joy in God, delight in God, ever-increasing fullness of the Spirit of God, ever-deepening knowledge of God. 
People who think heaven is going to be boring don't have any idea what God is like. God, in every single one of his attributes, is infinite, as Dr. Ware said. Every single one of his attributes. God's beauty is infinite beauty. That means we will never come to an end of new discoveries of his beauty. We will be amazed and then we'll be ravished and we will be amazed again and then we'll be ravished and then we'll be amazed for 10,000 years and at the end of 10,000 years and millions of ravishings and millions of, of t- years of worship, then we'll say, we have another age yet ahead. And there are ages of ages. And because God is infinite, there is no end to his beauty. And that's just one attribute. His wisdom is infinite. He will reveal one aspect of his wisdom to us. And we will say, oh, that is incredible. That is so delightful. That Sometimes I just think about the wisdom of God in the fact that all of the systems of the earth work together somehow. The way oxygen is produced, the way carbon dioxide, that, that cycle, the way evaporation and rain, the way the seasons all work, the, the wisdom of God in, in all of the systems of the world. And just thinking about that is a pleasurable thing. Thinking of the wisdom of God in, in designing the human body is just, it causes amazement at God. And, and thinking of the wisdom of God in stretching out the, the galaxies. As we heard the other night, that's a pleasurable thing. It's, it's, it's pleasurable to think of the greatness of God. And that's nothing. <laughs> Heaven will be ever deepening, ever wonderful experiences of the glory, of the wisdom, of the holiness of God. Scripture says God's holiness is beautiful in the splendor of your holiness ever deepening. Heaven is going to be more glorious than we can even imagine. I know you know that. 1 Corinthians 2.9, what no eye has seen, no nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't imagine it. We cannot imagine it. I have here in my pocket Now, if you can see that, this is an acorn. This is an acorn. And I want you to imagine you had never seen a tree in your life. You have never seen a tree in your life. The Apostle Paul tells us that Our glorified bodies in heaven will be as different from these bodies as 
a full-blown, glorious oak tree from an acorn. We, we can't imagine. If, if I had never seen a tree in my life, and I looked at this thing, I, I, I would not be able to fathom it. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And what you sow, the seed, is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. The glory of the earthly is another. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, if, if what comes out of this thing when it's sown, I mean, think of a full-blown, glorious, beautiful oak tree would fill this whole stage with its with its majesty and its leaves. It comes, it, it's, it's, how different is that? If I had never seen a tree, I could not even fathom it. You, you have no idea what the person next to you is going to look like in glory. C.S. Lewis said, if we could see what believers look like, are going to look like in glory, now we'd be tempted to worship them. They're going to be so beautiful, so radiant. And that is, that is not only true of just our bodies, but it's all of heaven will be more, everything in heaven will be more glorious than we can imagine. Worship in heaven will be more glorious than we can possibly imagine. Now, if it says in Psalm 135, if it says, praise the Lord for the Lord is good, sing to his name for it is pleasant. It's pleasant to worship God. It is pleasant. I love the joy of singing. It is pleasant to have these instruments up here. It is, I was, I was just blessing God a couple times when I heard Don Nall do a bass run today. I just thought, oh, that is, that is great. Oh, that is beautiful. The worship was just beautiful. Hey, you know what our worship is? <laughs> our best worship. All that is good and beautiful about our worship will be multiplied infinitely. If we have four-part harmonies here. Million-part harmonies. <laughs> I mean, if, 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 if some people's voices in their fallen bodies are as beautiful as they are, think of how some people are going to be able to sing in heaven. Whoa! And we'll all be enjoying it all, and it'll all be to the glory of the the Lord. All that is impure, weak, imperfect, or wrong in our worship will be removed. No more sin, no more distractions, no more tiredness, no more dullness of heart, no more impure motives, no more doubt, no more envying others. 
In fact, other people who are more gifted than we are in heaven or have a more full experience of God in heaven, we'll be happy for them. We won't be envious because there will be no sin in heaven. There'll be no envy. If someone is promoted, if someone is a better spot on the worship team, we'll be glad for them. (laughs) Because because that will increase our joy in God, to see the goodness of God in blessing others. It'll just be ever deepening. We'll be going like in that river. We'll be just going deeper and deeper and fuller and more expansive joy. Now this, this informs our worship here. This informs our worship here. We should be pursuing ever deepening knowledge of God. We should be pursuing increasing passion for God. We should be pursuing doctrine and theology because our experience in heaven will be ever deepening knowledge of God. And if the path of the righteous is like the the first light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day, we're on that path now. It should be shining brighter and brighter. We should be seeking more and more of the Lord. We should be seeking more and more godliness, more and more holiness, more and more passion, asking God, Lord, please give me greater levels, greater depths of affection for you. And he will give it to us. It's his will to give us that. It's not like God, do you think God would not answer that prayer? Lord, give me more affection for you. I don't know if I want to do that. (laughs) I mean, that is a perfect prayer. That is God's will. We're praying. Whatever we ask according to his will, we can know we have the things we ask. You have not because you ask not. It's God's will to give us ever-deepening knowledge of him. Paul prays that for for the churches he prays for. Pray that God will open the eyes of your heart so that you may see the height, width, breadth, and depth of the love of God and be filled up to all the fullness of Christ. I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so that you may know more and more and more and more and more, ever-deepening. So this, this informs us. Contemplating heaven informs us that now we should pursue increasing knowledge of God, and yet it also fuels my anticipation for the worship to come. I can't wait until I hear that that first strain of worship when I first die and go to heaven. Oh, can you imagine what that'll be like? First, when you first get there. When we first get there, that music, and yet it'll ever be deepening, ever expanding, ever getting better, ever more glorious. It's not like when we first get there, that's as good as it gets. Wow, this is great, heaven is wonderful, but that's it. No, it'll be ever increasing because God is infinite. And finally, the face. The throne, the river, the face. No longer will there be anything accursed. No more sin around. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. His servants will worship him. They will see his face. 
and his name will be on their foreheads. We will see his face. We will gaze directly upon the face of Jesus Christ. This, this is our hope. This is our great hope. Oh, it's going to be wonderful to have no more pain. It'll be wonderful to have every tear wiped away from our eyes. It'll be wonderful to be filled with joy unimaginable, pleasures indescribable. The highest joy of all. The joy of joys will be to see the face of the Lamb. Even the seraphim who fly continually around the throne crying holy, who have never sinned, have to cover their faces because they cannot look directly on the face of God. But we will gaze directly on the face of beauty itself. You know, all, all other beauty, all earthly beauty is derived beauty. We've already heard this as well. We don't have, if, if, if we have anything attractive about us, if we can create anything beautiful like a painting or a work of art, that's derived beauty, that's secondary beauty, that's, it's nothing has beauty in and of itself, only God has intrinsic beauty in and of himself. All other beauty is just a faint shadow, it's created beauty. It's just a faint shadow that is meant to point us ultimately to the beauty of God. There was a school of painters called the Hudson River School. And what somebody told me about these painters, they, they had an exhibition that was touring the country a, a couple of years ago. And what someone told me about these Hudson River painters, and I, I got to see a couple of these paintings, and they were majestic landscapes. And and they, they, were, they were awesome with waterfalls and, and brilliantly painted cliffs. And, and uh, always in the background, there was a light coming kind of from the distance. And the way the paintings were composed would lead the viewer's eye back through to the distance. And someone told me that the philosophy of the Hudson River School of Artists, they were, they were supposedly believers, and that their philosophy was to try to paint earthly beauty in such a way that it would point people to a beauty that is beyond. So that they hoped that when people were looking at these, the beauty of this earth, which is a created beauty, a, a, a secondary, a derived beauty, that it would point people back that they would follow back in the painting to that light that was shining behind the clouds beyond. All our beauty in this world should lead us to that ultimate beauty. Sometimes, I don't know if this ever happens to you or not, sometimes when I'm by myself, it doesn't happen so much when I'm with other people, if I'm by myself walking 
out in nature. If I'm by myself a couple of times, several times when I've been by myself walking on the beach at the ocean, if I happen to be up and see the sunrise or I'm out early in the morning, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I'm thrilled by the beauty, but at the same time, I have a feeling that I can only describe as a sort of an ache in my heart. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, this is so beautiful, but there's something more. And I believe that's an ache to see the face of Jesus. I believe that just at those times, occasionally, it doesn't happen to me all the time, but those, those times, I, I ache for some beauty beyond this world's beauty. Paul says we, we groan inwardly. Have you ever experienced that? that? Just that longing for something beyond? To see the beauty of God and of all the aspects of God's beauty, the most beautiful aspect of God is his face. The most wonderful and interesting part of a human being is their face. Did you ever think about that? If we didn't have faces, it'd be fairly boring. <laughs> I mean, isn't the human face the most interesting part about us? I mean, think of what the face can convey. Think of the emotions that our faces can convey. I mean, just think about the beauty of the human eye. Have you ever looked at, at a, just someone's eye? It's like a jewel. Our face is the most interesting, most amazing part about us. And I think that when our faces are backed up with godly character that radiates through our faces, they're even more wonderful. And when you think about the face of God being the most absolutely beautiful aspect of his beauty, and then his character radiating through that face. You know, there have been a, a number of times when I uh, got to travel on a long trip, for example, overseas somewhere, and I knew that my family would be waiting for me at the airport. I got off that plane, you know, it was in my mind, you know, it was in my heart. I can't wait to see their faces. Couldn't wait to see the face of my wife, Christy, and my kids' smiling faces. Oh, it was going to be great to be back home. It's going to be great to be done traveling be able to relax, get all that, all that stuff behind me. But the wonderful thing was being with them and seeing their faces. At the end of our trip, there is a face waiting. John wants, John wants us to, to inform our lives with that. He wants us to remember that. 
He wants us to look beyond the beauty that is beyond. Take every experience you can of beauty in this world. Take every experience of beauty and pleasure and aesthetic delight and combine it into one. We can't fathom the beauty of the face of Jesus. Does this fill you with anticipation? (laughs) Contemplating heaven is meant to fill us with anticipation. It's meant to inform our worship now, our lives now, and fuel our anticipation. You know, I was thinking that, and Bob, Bob mentioned this to me as I had uh, sent my outline to Bob for his help, and he helped me a whole lot on my outline, so just thank you, Bob, for your help with it. But Bob mentioned something to me that I thought was just a, a, a great point, as we f- are fueled with anticipation for the future. You know, we strive for excellence now in our worship, and it's good to strive for excellence. We should be the best we can be for the glory of God. But this is never gonna be perfect here. We're never gonna get it perfect and right. And we need to remember that the best worship is to come. The, The best is yet to come. Work hard, but don't get discouraged if it doesn't go well. You know, work on those transgressions, transgressions. (laughs) Transitions. Now let's try a transgression between G and A. I think we kind of messed up on our transgressions today. (laughs) Work, work hard on transitions. Work hard on excellence, but don't, don't get discouraged. If you have a good day, the worship we experience here, the, the best this band does is but a faint shadow. It's but a foretaste of what's to come. The best is yet to come. The best, worshiping the lamb, seeing his face, ravished by his beauty, giving him glory. The best days are but foretastes. If if your band, if your worship team does a wonderful job, hey, that's just a faint foretaste of what's to come. Ah, let us us fuel our anticipation. Charles Spurgeon said, my happiest moments, my happiest moments are when I'm worshiping God, really adoring the Lord Jesus Christ and having fellowship with the ever-blessed spirit. In that worship, I forget the cares of the church and everything else. To me, it is the nearest approach to what it will be in heaven. Happiest moments, worshiping God, fellowshipping with Jesus. It's a foretaste. The best is yet to come. Because even here, Even our best days here are stained with sin. Even our best times of worship are stained with impure motives, stained with pride. I look forward to that day (laughs) when our worship will have no pride in it 
There will be no impure motives. There will be no doubt. There will be no looking into my heart, evaluating my worship experience. There will be no struggling with legalism. There will be no battling condemnation. There will be no having to call to mind scripture verses to to conquer legalism and condemnation. But there will be no sin. There will be no envy. Our best days will be raptured, ravished by the face of the Lamb forever and ever. So let's contemplate heaven. Get those books. I, I love that book, Heaven, a World of Love by Jonathan Edwards that Bob recommended. Get, get Randy Alcorn's book. Set our minds on things above where Christ is. Let us look up. Let us remind people to look up away from themselves and see the throne of God and see the Lamb of God and see and pursue that ever-deepening river of God to anticipate seeing the face of the Lamb of God. Let's worship him. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. His servants will worship him. They will see his face. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, oh Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, it would, it would have been enough had you just forgiven our sins. It would have been amazing to, to, to have our sins forgiven, to not have to go to hell for eternity. It would have been amazing just to be declared not guilty. But Lord, what you have given us to look forward to. Thank you. Lord, please, Father, please, Turn our eyes away from worthless things. Help us always to set our minds on things above. Lord, help us to remember the best is yet to come. To not be discouraged by our sin, our failure now. Lord, our our weakness in worship teams, our our bad transitions. Help us, Lord, to, to not look inward, but help us to look at you on your throne. Help us to contemplate and anticipate and be fueled with joy for what is to come. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Mark Altrogi, which was given at the 2004 Worship God Conference. It has been made available to you through Sovereign Grace Ministries. Sovereign Grace is primarily devoted to planning and caring for churches. We also hold conferences, train leaders, and publish books, music, and audio and video messages. For more information, visit www.sovereigngraceministries.org or call us at 301-330-7400.